Do you live here? Nobody lives here. show everybody welcome back halloweenies Ooh, part two emphasis on the weenies <laughs> that is right oh boy we got another good one we do i we love want, this movie so we much from michael myers to freddy krueger i like it i like it it makes a lot of sense well ladies and gentlemen boys and girls and everybody in between listeners my name's pete and i'm scott and, and these, these are, are the movies, movies that, that made, made us gay, gay. Coming at you with another great October staple of our house, at least. Yes, indeed. I feel like this is one of my favorites of the Freddy movies. I mean... I don't think it's my favorite, but it's pretty good, though. Yeah, not because it's the best quality, but Scott, why don't you talk a little bit about what we watched and who our special guest is? Of course, we watched Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Is it part 4 or 4? I think part four. Part four. I don't know. Who knows? Part four, The okay. Dream Master from 1988, directed by Rennie Harland, with our horror bestie, with our other horror bestie, Jacob Randall. Yay, Jacob. Welcome back to Hi, the show. Guys. Thank you. Ugh. Thank you. You're very so welcome. good to be back. Well, I mean, this Nightmare movie in particular is... So, I kind of offered None. you any October movie that you wanted to because you're going to be following your boyfriend Matt's episode, and you immediately said, "Part four, the Dream Master." Like, no questions asked. <laughs> Absolutely, I knew immediately. I love it so so much, and I've, I I saw it for the first time so long ago, and it may just be like I may just be super attached to it, but to me. The movie can do no wrong. Even for all of its wrongs, it still can do no wrong. So I love it. I agree. I'm right there with you. I think yeah, part of it I is... I know be- you really like this. Yeah. I think part of it for me is because I just have been watching it for so long. Uh, it's it's hard for me to watch it through fresh eyes. And there are certain things and certain elements that are just weird. And we'll talk about it. But even last night when we were watching it, I was like, I never thought that this like invisible... Freddy karate fight was weird or corny or <laughs> you're like what? You're right. I thought I thought Freddy that just makes Freddy even more badass that he can do things invisible. Yeah, like, which we already kind of knew he could do, but to, yeah, I had I had no questions for it at all. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, this movie's bananas. And Scott, you can be our like control group. Sure. So I'm the least familiar with 
the Dream Master. I mean, I feel like I didn't really watch all of the Nightmare sequels until I started going out with you. Mm-hmm. And then we got the Blu-ray set from Best Buy, and then we watched all of them. Yes. I feel like just sort of coming to our relationship, I had just seen the first one. Yeah. And that was it. And then you sort of showed me all of the movies. I mean, I'm pretty sure that we watched them all in order. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure yeah. we had to have when I first bought that box set, which is like one of the best like $40 I ever spent. <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I know the box set you're talking about. It's so good. The, are you, the one with all the special extras and features, mm-hmm. like it has like a plethora of oh yeah. Material. Do you remember going There's into Suncoast or Sam Goody or Musicland and seeing the Nightmare on Elm Street box set and just how much money it was of all the VHS? Yeah. Oh, that fucker retailed for like a hundred and fifty dollars, probably. Yeah, I believe so. I was I was still young enough at that point when it came out that I didn't quite comprehend that horror as a was like a a widespread love affair with so many people. I didn't right. realize that anyone beside besides me would appreciate uh, the box set when it came out. And now, of course, like I wish I'd taken care of mine because I, I don't really have uh, I don't have it in my collection anymore. But oh my god, the the film is just so good. At part four. Uh, like it's you I mean it's not like it's the best of all the films or right. anything like you said but like it's just so terrific in so many ways. Well, to me I feel like 3, 4 and 5 really work as this trilogy. Yeah, definitely. Right? This solid trilogy of characters that that begin at the at the institution with Kristen and you know this is our bridge movie and then 5 is kind of like the closing of that story. And that's the dream child? That's the dream child, yes. 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 Right. It's like it's the dream series. Yes. Because it's the dream warriors, the dream master, and the dream child. Yes. And as much as I love Kristen as a character that we're introduced to in part three, played by Patricia Arquette, and played in this movie by Tuesday Night, um, I really feel like Alice is the character that I just love and latch on to. And, like, yeah, Alice made me gay. I didn't want to be Rick or Dan. Like, I wanted to fuck Dan, but, like, I wanted to be <laughs> Alice. You know what I mean? Like, me too. Oh, 100% <laughs> made me gay. That's the way it was. And from a really early age, my – like, I think my dad bought me the VHS because my mom would never approve of something like that. <laughs> but no one in my family ever took it away from me when they found out that I had it. So I watched it when I was really, really young. And all I saw was this really scary movie up until there's this action, this hero, this hero, really Alice she yes. goes through that transformation and you want to be her. I mean, the montage, I can't even tell you, I, I uh, play the montage in the background a lot of the times just for fun to get pumped up. Just while you're getting ready. <laughs> <laughs> and just, you know, getting ready for something. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so good. It like, I have a true, true love for this movie. Yes. I'm so glad that you're actually that you guys are into it. Oh yeah, for sure. And I feel like Alice's character, she just has such this arc where, you know, at the beginning, Scott mentioned yesterday yeah. as we were watching it. Um like a visual transformation from the yes. beginning and the end. Yes. Just kind of like this dowdy, you know, girl to just this badass. Like you said, she's like an action hero at the end of the movie. Right. She 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 starts off with all this self-doubt and even the way that she speaks is she's so much quieter and mm-hmm. so, so much more quiet. And so her hair looks kind of just 
in one scene, it almost looks like it's wet. Yeah. Like she didn't even dry her hair coming out of the shower. <laughs> and she just looks kind of like a little bit pathetic. And, and then something happens midway through the movie where she starts to have this transformation. And then she, she's just the, like, the, to me, the strongest character of the the strongest heroine hero of the entire series. I want right. to say hero, I guess, of the entire series. And she feels very different from Nancy, too. Right. That's what I. That's why I kind of like her. Yeah, yeah she does she feel is, very different than Nancy. It's almost reflective of, of of a certain attitude. It was very, very just. I mean, she didn't waste a lot of time in in <laughs> being ready to take Freddie out. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, like it didn't take her the whole movie to really get there. Yeah, like for once sure. she figured out what was going on, she was like suiting up <laughs> with like spiked bracelets and, <laughs> like, and her nunchucks, lasers and things like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But well, the thing about this movie is that, like, I mean, I guess it happens in the first one and the third one, but it's like it is every day one of her best friends, her brother. Her she best goes, friend. She like, goes to like three funerals yeah, through the course of this movie. Yeah, people are just dying. And Rick even says they're dropping like flies. And it's like, dead, dead, dead. She right. has no time. It, 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 yeah, it, play, it, it jumps on the, on the Freddy formula. It, it doesn't waste any time following a formula. Yeah. That we already know. But it, it kind of like, I don't know, it kind of over-illustrates certain things to where everything is just so fantastical and it's really like one of the most magical of the films. It is. Um, and I kind of, I'm kind of getting like kind of airy fairy when I talk about it, <laughs> but it, cause I'm like, Oh, it's magical and it's so deep, but it's just like, it, it hits in a different way that the, uh, it, it's almost like it lives in a, in a different universe than the other films a little bit. Um, like the, the soundtrack. Oh my God. It's so good. I mean, the clothes aren't good, but the soundtrack is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, there's some really good music in this movie. Um, I feel like this movie really introduced me to Dramarama. You know, that song is, right. like, so iconic. Um, even, like, the Sinead O'Connor song when uh, Deb is working out in her, like, infamous death scene. Oh, we'll talk about that later. Right. I have thoughts. Um, well, isn't it Robert England on Never Sleep Again, the fantastic documentary, uh, listeners, if you've never watched... Never sleep again. Set aside like six hours of your day and watch all of it because it's great. I remember Robert England it's described so this movie as the MTV like, nightmare. Nightmare, and that's pretty accurate. Absolutely. I mean that that sums that definitely encompasses what it is. Uh, it, it, he, Rennie Harlan made it clear in the documentary that he kind of knew what the audience was going to want by this point. He, yeah. he was really a young new director, but he had the intuition to understand like what the kids wanted what the young adults and teenagers really wanted. And he knew how to deliver it. I think even Wes Craven had some positive things to say about the film and Rennie Harlan's take on the, on the series kind of giving it a fresh injection uh, that it needed. So it was, it was just such a, it like to me, it's a real, a really a bright spot in in the movies. Like, um, if you're watching this franchise versus the other famous franchises from the time, you know, Friday the Thirteenth and and Halloween, each of these franchises have their bright spots, and this is definitely one for A Nightmare on Elm Street. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the kind of arc of the series as a whole, because you're right. It is a bright spot in the series. And like we were talking about before, how three, four and five act as this trilogy and Nightmare 3 kind of rebooted the franchise kind of for the audience and just because I mean part two it is what it is like we have to say like we did a whole episode on it we did a whole episode on part two but it is what it is it's I mean it's kind of a weaker entry it's better regarded now in retrospect with the queer context as it probably was back in the 80s yes yeah, it kind of stands alone as a better film than it does in the context of being a sequel because it deviates from the rules that Wes Craven put in place for right. Freddy Krueger and how he comes back in dreams. And you guys know all about it and yeah. kind of the direction that it goes in. But I, I appreciate it, how how it stands alone now. But the series did kind of need a redirect and get you know to get back on course with the world that Wes Craven created, and that's what A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 did, in my opinion. Right, but 3, I feel like, while it kind of rebooted the series to Craven's kind of idea and direction, it still almost, almost stands alone because it's not set in Springwood like oh, directly right. you know it's sure. in it's in the institution it's very like sterile and medical and it almost feels like it's very of the time it's very 80s but it definitely feels like it's a little bit more of a different type of a horror movie right because of this institution setting and and the psychiatric thing and and the uh hypnosis and all of all of those ideas right it does stand out in the series and just Overall, you didn't. I don't think there were. I can't think of a lot of horror movies that are that were like that at the time. Yeah, that that had that kind of setting. So it was it was different. It did adhere to the world in the sense of the rules that Wes Craven created mm-hmm. for Freddy Krueger, mm-hmm. and and it got back on that path nicely. But you're right in terms of of how of um, of the setting and where it really went, and it, it was unusual. Yeah, and different. So part three introduces us to. Kristen, a new character, uh, who is a teenage girl who's in a mental institution because she has attempted suicide. She doesn't want to sleep. Her mother is... They seem to be a little bit more well-off, right? Um, right. Oh, they got money. They, they got money. They got that money, honey. <laughs> I mean, she's got a maid named Teresa. Teresa! Like, she gets yelling up the stairs. <laughs> They've got the cash. That's yes. very That's very designing women. Yes. And yeah, Consuela. <laughs> and, you know, I, I mean, Kristen's mother is an amazing character. Oh, Kristen yes. Andalay. Uh, I, I, Brooke Bundy, I think, is her name. Um, she's excellent. This actress. Look her up. She, the first time we see her, she's in a very, like, Josie Grossy kind of, like, prom dress. It's very... <laughs> sure. Oh, my gosh. That's perfect. Yes. That's like, exactly she's coming in from this date. And she's like, Kristen, go to bed. I'm just coming home. And, and, like, the date is, like, calling her from, like, off camera. Very just like... What does he ask her? Like, where does she keep the... The bourbon. The bourbon. The very very on trend with neglectful nightmare parents. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Right. And um, 
in part three, Freddy's M.O. It's interesting because in the first movie, Freddy just is murdering these kids. You know, he's sucking them into the bed. He's like throwing them up against the wall, like just cutting them all up, whatever. Part three, he is going into their dreams and making them do things that appear to be suicide. Right. Very right. specific for Freddy. Um, and so all of these kids are encountering Freddy and appear to be suicidal to the outside world. But to them, they're just running from him in their dreams and they get stuck in this hospital. Right. Taking it a step further and, and pushing. I, I never thought of that. thought about that when I was younger, about how it was really pushing going into new territory with certain issues like suicide and yeah. things like that. But it really is. And that it's this, it's so, it's funny that we're talking about part three in this way. Cause you know, here to talk about part four, but you yeah. can't talk about part four without discussing part three. Exactly. So, sure. Um, Kristen, the new character in part three is played by Patricia Arquette. Her movie debut. One of her first big roles. Yeah. She, I love her portrayal of Kristen in the first movie, uh, or in in part three. So do I. Yeah, it's um, she's good. Yeah, she was really good, and I feel like they were really setting up this character. Well, obviously in the sequels, she was a big part of it, setting up this character to kind of be, you know, maybe the new Nancy, kind of the new heroine of this of this world. And um, we get a couple of characters that lasted that that made it to the end with Kristen. From the institution, right. Kincaid and Joey. So she's not yes. just a final girl. There's 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 two others that that survive. My favorite from Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, didn't make it out. Oh my god, the uh, Wizard Taren. Master. <laughs> he's my favorite. Oh, the Wizard Master. Yeah, he's so cute. Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, his, oh, oh, I know his name. Ira Heaton. Well, his character in in Dream Warriors is Will. Sure. Will, that's right. Yeah. Will. He's he's like a, a precursor to Harry Potter. In my case, yes. I can walk. And I'm the wizard master. <laughs> I love him. He is cute. Uh, so he was good. He was good. Yeah, he was really good. Um so what they set up in Dream Warriors is that in their dreams all these kids have this special ability, right? This kind of special ability that they can do, and it kind of makes them, it helps them to fight Freddy. It's their superhero power their superhero against power. Freddy. Yeah, their dream power. Yes, Ira, who's in a wheelchair in real life, can walk in the in in his dreams, and uh, you know Kincaid, who is kind of like this rough kid on the outside. He's got like mega strength. Uh, Kristen's ability is. Kind of like basic level gymnastics. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, gymnastics can be can be tough. Well, you know, you can do a, a tumble that turns into a kick, which I think she does once or twice. She does, yeah. And she I kind mean, of like runs up a wall in one scene. You can win a whole right. DTV. You can yeah. win a dance TV I mean, contest. Contest. <laughs> with your gymnastics. Like SJP and girls just want to have fun. <laughs> yes, oh, indeed. Yeah. Um you know how I feel about that movie. Yes. So. <laughs> One of the other kids uh, that survives part three and makes it to part four is Joey, who is a mute yep. in the institution. And in his dreams, he's got like Banshee scream. 
<laughs> he had like a crazy scream that like shattered all the. It's all, all very. Mirrors. It's all very X Men. It is a little X Men. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I've always, I never quite understood if he had the mute problem because of Freddy Krueger or if he had it prior to all of the, the nightmares. I, I never quite understood it. I like the sound of his voice though. He's got a good, you know, like, kind of tough kid voice. Yeah. So I kind of his power. I kind of assumed that everybody was in there because of Freddy. So, I just took it that that was part of his like psychosis or whatever that right whatever in- encounters he had had with freddie in the past kind of rendered him mute in the real world but um i think that makes sense that's what i always thought but yeah I, I didn't know if i was missing like a clue yeah or something from it about that but that's yeah i'm glad it, yeah that totally makes sense so uh in part three in dream warriors we get a reprise of nancy played by heather langenkamp and while there were only three years in between movies, Nancy has gone on to get her PhD. And <laughs> <laughs> Went right to the top of the class. She just shot her way up to the top and is back yeah, as like her, a psychiatrist or psychologist or something to help these kids. Yeah, I and mean, she's got like a, an, another character on her head, which is her hair. Uh, has yes, I mean, like how six, else would you know taller. from the audience <laughs> that she's like so well-adjusted and accomplished? <laughs> Right, her and the and the nice shoulder pads, and I mean, it's it really it does seem like she's ten years into her career, but really, it's only been a few years. Yeah, <laughs> they do. Uh, like I said, the first movie came out in 1984. Dream Mass, uh, Dream Warriors came out in 87, I believe. But she does say six years ago, like I fought Freddy. Right. So there's a there's a line in there that make, that makes the timeline kind of make a little bit of sense, but not so much. Um, I mean, it, it creates an alternate timeline from reality. Yes, you know, in the real world, which is fine. But like, why go? Why do that? Yeah, it know. makes the movie take place in 1991, 1990, something like that. But that's right. neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie comes out. Dream Warriors comes out. It's a huge success. Like we said, it kind of revitalized the franchise because part two was a little weird and audiences didn't really know what to do with it. But still made decent money though. Yeah. Part two. It was still on the cultural radar. Yeah, for sure. But this is now starting to be the time where kids are really responding to Freddy. You know, it's not quite Freddy mania yet, but you know, it's building there. And so we're like, okay, we're going to go for part four. We're going to bring Kristen back because she survived. They offer it to Patricia Arquette who just flat out turns it down. Has she right? ever been on the record of saying why she didn't come back? I'd, I've never heard her on the record. I've heard conflicting things and even Never Sleep Again, the different characters kind of aren't sure and they say d- different things. Mm-hmm. And then the actor who plays uh, Joey basically says that they didn't want to offer her enough money. I've, But I've also heard it's because she didn't want to be, you know, she wanted to do other kinds of films. Right. Um you know, but I don't think that she had a very good experience filming the third movie mm-hmm. in general. So that that could have influenced her. Right. Know. Probably a lot of things. Probably a little bit of everything. Right. Yeah. I had heard that she kind of didn't want to be pigeonholed into, into horror and wanted to do more dramatic roles. Right. Right. Which I, I mean, I guess 
I guess if that's how you feel, but uh, I mean, she has an Oscar now, so she's the only (laughs) Oscar winning actor to ever come out of any of these movies. Well, she might have more Oscars if she had done Nightmare 4. Sure. You're right about that. (laughs) I almost wonder if this script by Brian Hedgeland, he also won an Oscar for LA Confidential, so I guess I shouldn't say that the only like Oscar winners, because this screenwriter won an Academy Award, but I almost wonder if Kristen would have been the Alice character and they just sort of rewrote it when she turned it down. Like, they just sort of did a rewrite of it and just sort of swapped characters and they just sort of wrote her character out of the movie. But that's just my theory on the whole thing. I've always suspected that, too, though, since... Since they since they've made it clear that they did want Patricia Arquette back and she didn't want to come back, I it makes sense that they would have rewritten it based on that. But they didn't want to completely throw away the yeah. previous characters, mm-hmm. so they kind of made a a choice. Sure. And uh, so in this movie, in part four, in, in the Dream Master, we get uh, Tuesday night as Kristen. And uh, Tuesday night's delivery, her performance, is a choice. I mean, bless her heart, she tries. <laughs> well, again, you know, I'm, I'm, I can see no wrong. I think it's perfect. <laughs> and I can't, I, I, don't, I don't see what you see because I love the film too deeply. Um, but I mean, but really though, I, I get what, what people mean. I, I like her, I, I, I kind of like it. I don't know if it's because the... It, it could just be because it, my view is distorted, but the way it flows with the music and some of sometimes when I consider the criticisms that I've heard of her performance, I try to look at them and look at where and what lines, and then I kind of see a little more clearly. Oh, okay, I, I understand how she might be a little stiff here, or she might be, um, you know, just not as I, I don't know, just not as is pleasing to, to, to the eye and the ear. Um, but I think, I, I think largely I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't see it as much. I, I just think, gosh, she's so great. And it's so sad what happened to her. And I don't even see that much of it. But when you put it up against Patricia Arquette though, and yes, and how she embodied the character, it, there is such a stark difference. So I think that's where the, the clarity comes in for me when I'm looking at it. Yeah, I don't think Tuesday probably took too much time to analyze Dream Warriors and say, I'm going to base this performance off of her performance. She just probably came in and did the work. Uh, To me, I just feel like it it just some scenes and some delivery just plays a little, um, maybe a little bit more television, a little bit more melodramatic. I mean, come on, it's it's not like, this isn't like Silence of the Lambs or anything, but still, she's giving me a little bit more saved by the bell in her in some of the delivery where lines that are supposed to come off as important is just like she's like so dramatic with them but we we have some clips that we'll listen to as we as we move along in the story Ooh, i'm excited <laughs> but um the you know starting with dream warriors and moving forward throughout the series this is where we really zero in on the thompson residence from the first movie yes it as becomes its own character Freddy, of the movie yes as a character as freddy's lair 
which in movie one, it doesn't really have anything to do with Freddy. It's just Nancy's house, right? Right. But moving forward. And it's a great house. It is a great house. It's iconic. You know, this right. green roof right. and the it red door. It doesn't mean as much. Right. Um, but now in this movie, like like Kristen says, it's his home. <laughs> is it though? Is <laughs> it? Which, is it, it? it so wait, he they lived in Freddy's house and then... And I guess you just accept that. <laughs> yeah, right. His glove was just taking up residency in the furnace and downstairs. Yeah, the f- <laughs> right. He designed the house. Right. Yeah, well, there you go. Architect. The architect. <laughs> architect on the side. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's his home. We, al- we also get, starting with three, and then that carries over into this movie, every time a character has a dream where they're placed in his home, the interior of the house is very, like, gothic and covered in cobwebs and there's a full like rotting dinner on the table with like a like a suckling pig and like all this gross rotting food and and you know decaying curtains and and little girls in in first communion dresses that need saving you know there's a lot of this imagery starting you know starting in this this new set of movies Right, it kind of it creates a world within the world, mm-hmm. um, a, a, and it's it's strange. But when I look at it now, I think I think of it as as a really cool aspect of the series because it does add just another dreamlike layer, yes, to to the series and all of those things. And even in the the original, it, it had these things in it that made it feel more of like like you're you were in different dreams you know whether it's leaves blowing in in a in the hallway at a high school yeah you're like why why are there leaves here so this goes further and it really just takes the house and transforms it and i and there's this new level of mythology behind it like really it's his home and (laughs) um so it's 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 cool though because it does make it spooky and the only thing I'll say, though, in terms of, like, when you're going in the house, the only thing I've ever thought that was consistent consistent in terms of location is the is the location of the staircase. Yes. <laughs> like, going through the front door into the staircase, that's the house. But everywhere else, like, who knows? Exactly. It might be a little different in each movie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and they even do the little flipperoo switcheroo in this one. Is it in this one or is it in Dream Warriors where the staircase is on the wrong side? And she goes through a door, th- and she's still inside the house, but it's now it's flipped. Right. That's in that's in this one. That's in, in this part one. four. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, just part of building the mythology of the of the house, and it being it's tied to Freddy because it's tied to Nancy, and Nancy was like really the first person to to take him down. Um, so in this movie, Kristen is back. Kristen, Joey, and Kincaid are back. They're integrated into society. They're no longer in Weston, Weston Hills or whatever it's called. <laughs> and they're just normal teenagers. Starting um, the movie like the opening scene of Greece because the opening scene of Greece is shot in this parking lot. Yes. This parking lot. Did you know that? Right. Yes. It's Venice yeah, High School. It's Venice High School. I did. I think I did know that. I've driven past there a few times. So yeah. one of the things that really drew me to this movie as a as a kid was this depiction of these friends, right? They just Alice was always watching these home movies that they made of each other just hanging out, you know. 
talking to each other before school in high school. They were just so tight and so close. And this group of friends to me, I was always like, that's so cool. That's what high school is going to be like. I mean, not getting murdered oh, in my yeah. dreams, but just having this group of friends and they all look so cool and fun and pretty and, and all of that. You can't wait to have the fabulous right. bodybuilder friend with the big hair. Oh, my God. Yeah, and, like, they're all so different in their personalities yes. that they all love and appreciate each other. And they're all very, like, they're very clearly affected when when another one of them dies. It, it's, you know, to be cared about like that. It's the camaraderie and... And uh, and and just the the actual physical aspect of dream powers being transferred from one friend mm-hmm. um, from one friend to another, uh, it's so it, yeah. You want to be part of that friend group, or you want to have that for yourself. It's, yes. it was such an appealing part of it for sure. And they even, you know, they they all dress differently too. So yeah. It's just it sets it up in this way that like, hey, you can be friends with different kinds of people mm-hmm. and everybody's cool in their own way. It's, yeah. And it's all packed into this little it's it's subtle, really, in my opinion, but it's packed into this little horror movie. Yes. And what country is Renny Harlan from? I think either Netherlands, I think Finland. Yeah. OK. Maybe? Finland, I think it almost right. strikes me as a foreign director in his 20s thinking like these are the American America. teenagers. This is yeah. America. That's what it feels like right. to me. And I <laughs> yeah. have a lot of thoughts on Rennie Harlan. We'll get there soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I almost forgot. We talked a little bit about Kristen's dream power of uh, gymnastics, but her bigger dream power, which is like, how could we forget this, is that she can pull in other people into her dream. That's her big X-Men power. So now everybody's sharing the dream. Right, and she's and, been able to do that since she was a little girl. Yes. Um, so that, and it really is such an important piece of the of the trilogy you talked about between the three movies, four, mm-hmm. five, and six, because it becomes the way that Freddy essentially functions and reaches his victims for those five. movies. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I have a little clip of the friends. Uh, from early on in the movie, we get introduced to new characters, uh, twins, Alice and Rick. They're twins, right? Um, I think I they're twins. I don't know if they're <laughs> – maybe they are. I don't are know they an if Irish it's twins? ever been I don't specified. Know. I feel I, like there's – in Alice's collage of pictures that are covering her mirror, which I tried to emulate but never had enough pictures to cover <laughs> my entire mirror. So did I, yeah. yeah. I didn't have that many friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But she would pull down pictures of what we were to assume is their deceased mother with Alice and Rick as children. And the two little kids always appear to be the same age. So if they're not if they're not twins, then maybe they're a year apart or maybe they're Irish twins, like Scott said. But right. the, they've got to be something like that. Yeah. But they're a brother and sister. Rick is now dating Kristen and Alice is quiet like we said, she's a little a little dowdy. Her hair is a little stringy. She doesn't wear any makeup. She dresses, you know, like, I don't know, like a nerdy like girl from the 50s. Looking like she's like a Mennonite or something. Very yeah. long dress. Long, right. like, jean dresses. Yeah. A maxi skirt, you know, a maxi skirt to the, to the knees with, like, Elaine Bennis, like, you know, loafers and, like, a little <laughs> sock. Um, but Alice, we get... We we learn early on in the movie, um, kind of zones out, and will go into her own little world and have like a daydream, really. 
right? Right. And this comes this comes into play later on in the movie, but this is one of the earlier in, uh, introductions to to that aspect of her character. So let's take a listen. All right. Anybody have trig this semester? What happened? I had a conflict. Homework or dynasty, and uh, dynasty won. Bad story. Soaps will kill you. There's Dan Jordan. Mm-hmm. We are talking one major league hunk. You know, you are one major league hunk. <laughs> Thanks, Alice. Earth Talus. Earth Talus. Hey, you spacing again? Rick, please. So Rick kind of is aware Rick, that, that Alice... Rick, please. <laughs> I mean, Danny Hassel is very handsome. As, he's, as Dan Jordan... He's the one of my come. favorite himbos in, like, horror <laughs> movies. Oh, he's, he's a dreamboat. And he seems like his character comes across as such a good guy. Yeah. And then the actor does, too. So... Because yeah. I've heard him speak in, in interviews. And... Oh man, he is like such a just the perfect, perfect um, like I don't want to say like American figure. Yeah, <laughs> but he's like he's just a slice of like like American pie. Yeah, he's got like apple you know? pie in his hair. Um, and yeah, later on in the movie when he does start to talk to talk to Alice, at one point he's got a date with some girl, and the girl's just like, "Dan, we got to make the movie." Um, but he's not super involved in, in that. And when he talks to Alice, he seems invested in her and you know he listens to what she has to say and all that and he's not just like i don't know he seems like attainable even though he's just like this super good looking really tall beefcake kind of a guy so yeah yeah and he sees he sees there's a little something special in her there's something going on with her and he likes that yes and dan is friends with rick um Rick as a character is very interesting. He seems to be a little bit more like new wave. He dresses kind of cool. You know, he's got like vests and plaid pants and all that situation and like spiky hair. Rick is very into karate. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He's into karate in the garage and getting sweaty and listening to cool music. Yeah. So he he but he's he's definitely not the jock character that Dan is he's not the letterman jacket and yet they seem to be like best friends yes or or pretty good friends at least yes um in that clip we also heard from deb debbie and that that big hair i mean i think even for the 80s deb's hair is a little cray it is nuts (laughs) well i mean the jacket and the hair together it's it's a what it's almost like like it's not it's almost like a biker chick yeah. kind of look but she's she's not that girl right you know it's that's not who she is and i tell. love that she's just she's, super she's not oh go ahead i was going to say i i love that she's just in this physical fitness and weightlifting like that's a type in a movie that it just made <laughs> oh my up God. yeah well it's almost like she wants to be like hard like Taryn from part 3 yes, but she's yeah. not because she doesn't do drugs and she takes she's into physical fitness and she's not you know she's not like that. Yeah. But that's kind of like the hint that you get from her outfit and her attitude a little bit, but she's 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 a to me she's kind of a softy. Right. There. 
And, and she wears like the like she'll wear like stretch pants or leggings with like a big leather jacket. She has kind of the crazy rock and roll hair. It's a little Steven Tyler. She's kind of going in a like Tory from Saved by the Bell direction, but not as hard. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, um, totally. Her, yeah, her thing is working out, which is very eighties. You know, working out as a as a character point, I feel like it. You know, is kind of it becoming was a craze. the big health craze of the eighties and yes. health clubs and aerobics when they still called gyms health clubs. Yeah. Well, she can afford a home gym. Exactly. She lives in that on that really expensive side of Elm Street. <laughs> so like, it was just the garage. I mean, the whole thing's expensive, really. <laughs> I mean, but, but yeah, I guess it is the garage. But she, yeah. you know, she's got a little home gym in there. Yes. And she loves Sinead O'Connor. So. She loves it. And also, character note, you know, as she's very into fitness and, and all of that, when we first learn that she does not like bugs. Are they banana chips? It looks like maybe a banana chip or like a or like a dried apple chip or something sure. like that. Yeah, I've over the years I've like at one point I thought it was some kind of salad. Um it, I've never quite known what it is. Yeah. But I think you're I think you're on the right track with, with banana chip or whatever. I took it to be like a banana chip or like a fried plantain or something like that. But uh, I always took it to be some sort of like a um a fruit or vegetable product that she's eating out of a paper bag and she, as she pulls one out, a giant cockroach like a water bug is on <laughs> it. And Ugh. You know, everybody's like, oh, Deb, calm down, because she, like, stomps on it with her shoe. But, like, I'm sorry. She was wolfing down those chips out of that bag, and she pulled one out with a fucking giant roach on it. I would have done the same thing, if not the entire bag. And, yeah. I I probably would have thrown up. I probably would have, like, gotten sick and ran away and went home and then, like you know, cleansed myself or something. I don't know. I'm really grossed out by bugs, but I love the moment because it's a smart foreshadowing of what's to come. Yes, definitely. Uh, Definitely. We also meet Sheila, who is the the smart girl from their group, but she's still part of the gang. And Sheila comes in riding in on that Vespa. And I love it. Oh God, I love that. I well, love that little Vespa. It, it's it's a health hazard, you know. <laughs> That's why you have asthma. When she parks the Vespa, no she asthma. parks it near all of these like bikes of all of these high schoolers driving to school. There's like a Triumph. There's yeah. like fancy motorcycles in there. Like, what kind of kids? Where is Elm Street? Springwood, Ohio has this many motorcyclists, teenagers. <laughs> It really, like, being a young kid and seeing this, it, like, really changed the way I thought of... It it created a picture of what high school would be for me. Yeah. And it was so wrong. Yes. In so many ways. Completely. Completely. Like, I really thought that high school was a more more of an adult affair than it turned out to be. Yes. You're like, just wait till I get my motorcycle and I can drive (laughs) to school with it. (laughs) Right. And... So, I don't know if you ever picked up on this, but as a kid, Sheila's riding in on this Vespa, and it seemed to me that there was kind of like like add-ons, or like there were like wires on the front of it, and it seemed to me like they kind of zhuzhed up the Vespa to make it seem as if... Um, she kind of did some work on it because Sheila, as we see later on, creates this like ultrasonic device to scare away insects. She just has this mathematical mind. So I kind of took 
if you watch it, there's like wires on the running around oh, the Vespa wow. that should not be there. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I had not looked at it, but that does, that makes sense um, for her character. And, yeah, uh, she's she's clearly way smarter than average. Yes, she's quite. She's probably the brainiest character that we've seen throughout the series. Yes, I want to know what the base of that device was that she built for Deb because she makes this looks like a taser. Right. It's got right. like an external nine volt battery, all these different cables around it, a little like emitter on the end that looks like a salt shaker, like all this crazy shit. And she says she made it for Deb. It's like ultra high frequency sound waves to scare away bugs because Deb hates insects, as we saw um, with the fried plantains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's the... It, we never get to see it function that yeah. way, though. We never get to see it actually do the sound wave thing because apparently it has this alternate dream use. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> when you're when you're the dream master yes. later on, it becomes but, a phaser. But I would love to know. Yeah, but I would love to know like how did she create this thing? Yeah, um, because you just kind of it, you know, the the movie doesn't take too much time to go into no. the things about the characters that it lays out for you it you know it shows you this person's the brain but it doesn't go that much further than you know than telling you how smart she is and showing you a few examples of why mm-hmm. so you don't get to spend that much time with her but i mean she would be it, it's a shame that what happens with her so quickly after we meet her because she's such a she would be an interesting character and formidable against Freddy if 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 she were in part three, for example, and she were one of the Dream Warriors. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, speaking of the Dream Warriors, Joey and Kincaid also go to Springwood High School with the rest <laughs> of the gang, but they're clearly not part of the group. Well, one of them is killed off in the first, like, 15 minutes, <laughs> which I'd imagine that that actor was probably pretty pissed about that. Yeah. Kincaid goes first. I mean, I'm assuming yeah. that it's the same night that Joey and Kincaid are, are killed by Freddy. It, well, it is because they because Rick later says Joey Kincaid and Joey died, died last, last night. night. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, we have to talk about how Freddy comes back in Kincaid's dream. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, I like to think of it as just a symbol. Like, Freddy yeah. was already back and he's got to make a grand entrance. So he's going to manipulate the conscious your your mind to do something really screwed up and weird that's what i like to think the whole thing is i think you're absolutely right i like to think that the dog piss actually (laughs) brought him back and that's how freddy's rules work i feel like some people think that that's like they take it that way honestly i do yeah (laughs) this dog just has a major case of doggy gonorrhea and pisses out fire uh, Kincaid has a dream that he is in the junkyard that uh, Nancy's father and uh, the guy that's not Bill Maher from part three. Um, he does look like Bill Maher. Where they he kind does. of. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> where they buried Freddy's bones. His bones, his skeleton. It is a skeleton with the, with the, the glove where they have a full on. Ray Harryhausen stop motion skeleton fight in part I three. I love that scene. That scene's amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's really good. Yeah. Uh, but Kincaid has a dream that he's there. 
His dog is also with him. His dog, which is named Jason, which I love. And right, that that I I bet that was intentional. Yeah, for I'm sure. Assuming. What kind of dog is that, Scott? Yeah. Do you know? I don't know, but Jake the dog has his own IMDb page. <laughs> oh, really? He was oh. in The Boy Who Could Fly oh. and Two Moon Junction, starring Charlie Fenn from Twin Peaks. Okay, interesting. Oh, Famous movie adorable. dog. I, Famous movie I kind of want to go follow his career. <laughs> that should be a thing. That, that sh- There should be a podcast about pet careers. There I should be. There is. I listened to the Jake the Dog episode. <laughs> so yeah, I I like to I like to subscribe to your theory that Freddy was back, and this is just kind of Kincaid's dream dictating how Freddy is going to appear to him. Um, right. I always thought that the shot was really cool when the camera pans out and Kincaid is in like this giant maze. Of a junkyard, and yeah. it's like the entire planet. Oh, Freddy's back. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool. I mean that that effect and so many of the effects in this movie and in part three. I think with part three, this the series really uh, took it a step further with the kind of practical effects that that they started using, and yeah. so many of them still look really cool uh, to to me, especially in part four. Um, but that's one of, uh, I don't know if you would call that a practical effect or not, but, um, well, it's a painting, I, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really a film it, person, but sort it's of a, a cool effect. And it, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a painting the, on, and it's a painting on glass and they shot the camera over that. Like it's a whole thing that they do where like they leave a hole out for what they actually shot of Kincaid, like on the set. And then the painting on glass has a hole in it and then they shoot that. And so, yeah, it, it's practical in the sense that it's not. It wasn't uh, generated in the computer, right. so it's it's, it an, looks it's so cool. Definitely an old school camera trick, yeah. And it was really cool and really beautiful effect. Um, Kincaid uh, is running through this junkyard, and he uses his super strength powers to, you know, throw cars on top of Freddy. But obviously, it's not enough. He meets his end very early in the movie. But I, I think- like that they show that he did that they. They give you a moment where he uses his power. Yes. Instead yeah. of just throwing it away like they do his his character <laughs> later. Yeah. yeah. I think they give him a moment to show you, well, he can do stuff in his dreams, but it's not enough. Yeah. At least with Kincaid's death, he may have gotten uh, off pretty early in the movie, but at least with his scene is a little bit longer. Like you said, he got to use his powers against Freddy. He has moments... There's moments when Freddy stabs Kincaid and then he like grabs the back of his head and like brings his face over to his shoulder. It's very like, oh, okay. He's like embracing this, you know, this character. It's very, I don't know. I think it was very different for a a movie in the 80s. Jason would never do that. There's (laughs) an element to it that it's, it's, it makes you a little uncomfortable because it's like he's. Freddie's saying, yeah, you know, who's your daddy? Yes. It's just weird. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Um, Right after that. Because it's Freddie. Yeah. Right after that, we go, we cut to Joey, who is now very much like Glenn in the first movie, you know, falling asleep on his bed. He's got the headphones connected to the stereo. Very reminiscent of, of Johnny Depp's death scene. And of course, like Chekhov's waterbed. You don't introduce a waterbed in a horror movie <laughs> thinking that you're not going to pay it off. Yeah. 
I mean, it's so 80s, too. It, it just... I mean, it, this movie puts you in the time period so well. Even yes. the, the advertising after this scene with, with, I think, Kristen's drinking a Diet Coke. But, mm-hmm. I mean, just the, the, you know, Joey's bedroom and the girl and the poster on the wall, you know, with just everything. And he's watching MTV, I think. Yeah, he's um, watching MTV. Pete, did you know that the, the pinup girl uh, played Taryn in, in Hard Ticket to Hawaii? Oh, she's from Hard Ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I love the idea that you see her in the poster and then you cut back to the poster and she's not in it anymore, but the background is still there. I thought that was really cool. She disappeared from the poster. And and supposedly she's the girl who appears in the water bed. And and her movements and what she's doing are very in sync with with the kind of hard rock song that's playing. And it's just so well done. Yeah. And it, it lulls you in for a second into this fun, exciting moment for this young guy. And it uses the same thing that it used against Joey before his weakness, which is yes, is sexy Um, titty ladies. Mm -hmm. Part three. Yeah. He loves, (laughs) he loves that. So he loves it. Freddie knows what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, he knows just what to do. Yeah. Uh, God, Joey, man, poor guy. So we found uh, we found jo- we found some modeling shots of this actor, and he did some nude modeling in the nineties. Yes, yes, oh, indeed. Yes. It's on the internet. Rodney Eastman, look up Rodney Eastman's nudes. Everybody, do yourself a favor. They're they're very artsy, though. They are. They're very artsy, mm-hmm. very artistic, very lovely. <laughs> so, yeah. So he must have done some modeling that after this like movie. A- yeah, hey, I'll check it out. I, you know, he he's a handsome guy. He is. He's a good-looking guy. And I want to real. know if that song is, uh, if it's Billy Idol. It sounds like Billy Idol, but I don't think it is. It, it sounds like him. I don't think it is either. I feel like yeah. I, would, I feel like that we would know that for sure. But I, yeah, I, I don't think it is. Yeah. No. Oh well. There, there's some good songs on this, including, like I said, it, I don't know if we mentioned it already, but the intro, the song that plays over over the opening credits, is called "Nightmare" and it's sung by Tuesday Night. It's so great, and she's released it on herself on one of her albums, I believe. Oh, okay. And it's it, it's to me, it's one of the best opening songs of a horror of a horror movie, mm-hmm. and it really pulled me in. Like it was so fun because it's this great '80s song that encompasses A Nightmare on Elm Street. It's very yeah. celebratory. It's almost like when you hear an opening song at a James Bond movie. Sure, sure. And it, it functions in the same way. So yeah. it's super cool. Well, if we're going to talk about our favorite songs from the soundtrack, I really love the song by the Divinals, Back to the Walls, and that's where uh, Christian pulls uh-huh. into school. Good song. Yeah, I mean... Thank God for the internet because when I was a kid, I I loved the song, but you can only hear a few seconds yep. of it, and it's it's such a great song. But I had no idea who it was, and yeah. now you can just you know it's on YouTube, it's everywhere, so it's it's uh, another excellent track. I played it for, for sure. Pete t- for Pete today in the car, and he's like, I don't think I've ever actually listened to all of the song. I had never heard the entire song. He just always so, just yeah. would see it in the movie. Yeah. Because, like you said, we didn't have That's any good. any way to any way to you didn't find have it. you didn't have Shazam on your no. smartphone as a kid. 
Yeah, and it, you you started hearing amazing music in movies, but you never mm-hmm. had access to it. And it, you were lucky if the if they decided to release the soundtrack. Yeah, and you could get it on cassette or eventually CD. And there was but always I, I never. I was gonna yeah, say I never had the soundtrack for. And there was always later. that one song that they didn't license for the soundtrack that you really wanted. Yeah, that's what I hated oh about the Empire Records soundtrack. <laughs> Yeah. Great soundtrack, but a lot of the best songs are not on the soundtrack. Uh, boo. Yeah, it's like, what's the point? Like, why would why would I want this if it doesn't have everything? So. <laughs> I do remember here in L.A., uh, K-Rock would play Anything, Anything. That was a big radio hit in L.A. in, in the That's 80s. Cool. So old, I knew, I knew the drummer. staple. Yes, I knew the Dramarama song. That was definitely. I think I just knew that from Empire Records. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, yeah, that was a big radio hit here. But nothing else really from the soundtrack was on the radio, at least, you know, in this market. But, yeah, and that contributes to why, I mean, that's one of the reasons why this is definitely, like, the MTV movie mm-hmm. of of Nightmare. Yeah, I think it has one of the best soundtracks of any horror film. And for me, just because I personally love it, it's one of my favorite soundtracks just in general, it yeah. has so many great songs. It's such a good mix. Yeah. Like an 80s soundtrack. For sure. Um, I want to get to Kristen and Alice talking about the Dream Master. Because I always felt, even as a kid, I always felt this idea of the Dream Master feels a little unresolved, maybe. I can we, see that. We kind of are introduced to the idea of the Dream Master, but I never really kind of got like... Am I the dream? Like, are you the master of your own dreams? Is it a person? Like, what's going on with that? Uh, yeah, it's idea. very unclear, and I just kind of accepted it as as yeah. it was. But but it really it, it raises questions. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they ever quite laid it out. I try to sum it up in my mind that it's the same thing that always kills Freddy, which is making. Which is taking away his power, yes. like facing your your fear and and deciding that you're not going to be afraid of him anymore, or, or showing him himself. Um, I feel like that's kind of a reoccurring thing, but but trying to decide, like, okay, who really is the dream master? I I it seems like the kind of vague uh, resolution that you provide when you're really not going to do any more movies. Right, like you're not, you don't need to explain any of this later. Just leave it for people to figure out and interpret. Because then, when they go into part five, and it's like, well, what about the Dream Master? What happened to all that? That was so final. (laughs) Like he looked at himself in the mirror. That's true. So, so is like the Dream Master almost like lucid dreaming? Yeah. When they talk about lucid dreaming, that you can control, that you understand that this is a dream, and that yeah, and that you're taking his power away, so you can make yourself fly or something in your dream. Yeah. Right. I think that's what it is. It's just recognizing that you're she even says it, you're in control. Yeah. Remember you're in you're control. You're in control. Well let's take it let's take a listen to, to Alice explaining it to, to Kristen. Here you are. Where were you this morning? Rick's looking all over. Have you seen Joey and Kincaid? I can't find them anywhere. I'm sure they're around. Well I'm not so sure. We have matching luggage again. The bags under your eyes. Nightmares? Yeah. God, I hate dreaming. Mmm, I love to dream. I just hate the ones about my dad. How do you handle your nightmares? 
My mom taught me when I was little. Did you ever hear of the Dream Master? Sounds like a game show host to me. No, it's a rhyme. Just have to dream about someplace fun. Remember, you're in control. How do you know so much about dreams? Well, when it's all you have, you kind of become an expert. We better get going before your brother starts a search party. I love it, though, but that ambient delivery of Tuesday night, it can just it, it can just put me to bed. Yeah. Both of them are so sad, though. I mm-hmm. mean, she's like, when it, uh, like uh, Alice is, uh, you know, when it's all you have, you kind of become an expert. It's just like, <laughs> you're 16. That's all you have? Yeah. They need sad to be doing, things. like, meditation tapes. <laughs> they can do the two of them could do ASMR and make some money. Right. <laughs> we haven't even talked about uh, Alice and Rick's drunk father. Oh, their their terrible drunk father. <laughs> oh man! I mean, I'm assuming he's an alcoholic. Yeah he he appears to be an alcoholic and a workaholic. Yeah, because he he's like he works ten hour days, and yeah. he's very dissatisfied with. With cold leftovers. I mean, I she could have heated up the, the leftovers for him. Well, no, um, the thing was, she gave him the salad as, like, a starter. You know, it was clearly a little salad with saran wrap over it. And you could see that she had a whole other plate of food after that. He was just, like, thinking, <laughs> this salad is my whole dinner. And I was always like, really, Alice's dad? Come on. She's got a whole plate of hot food waiting for you. He's overreacting. And she should have – that's one of the instances where Alice has her little dream moment where she really gives it to him. But it turns out she was just zoning out again. So. Right. You're, you're starting to get a hint of, of who she is, though, deep down. Yeah. You're kind of getting a little bit of a picture of, of what you're going to see later. And it's a good – it's a good foreshadowing in that way, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Joey and Kincaid – meet their end Kristen uh, is just uh, she just can't handle it Mm -mm. (laughs) and when (laughs) she finally has her final showdown with Freddie she's promising herself that she's not going to bring anybody into her dreams because Freddie knows that he you know they're the last of the Elm Street kids and there's no more kids for him to you know to murder and so he needs her to bring other kids into her dream so that he can take them too. And she's like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But during her final showdown, she brings in Alice. And not only does she bring in Alice, she transfers them powers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess, well, sure, that's she, how it works. <laughs> I, mean, she, I mean, she can't resist bringing in Alice. She tries to stop it. But, mm-hmm. and, and I guess that kind of, when you think about it, it's like, the reason she pulls people in sometimes it's very purposefully, but other times it's because she can't resist thinking about whoever comes into her mind right. when she's dreaming and right. they, they get pulled in. So I think in this moment, Freddie's basically forcing her to think about it and it just happens. Yes. And from here on out, now that Alice has this power to bring in people into her dreams, Freddie starts going after her friends and takes them out one at a time. Mm -hmm. So the only scene that I ever remember seeing 
on cable, I think it was on like late night FX or something, was the classroom scene. Okay. Which, Where he grabs her through the desk. That's yes. my only scene that I had a context with yes. with this movie. And this is Sheila's death. Mm-hmm. I love that scene. Oh. Oh, it's really scary. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, and it's uh, the effect of when she's getting the life sucked out of her and the way that turns into her asthma attack yeah when in 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 real life but just the effect like how the dummy i guess it's they're holding a dummy that mm-hmm. looks like the actress at the in the very last shot when he drops her and he's like you flunked after he sucks all yeah. the air out of her i mean that's such a frightening way to to kill someone yeah for real um, and she is totally unfamiliar. She hasn't been having nightmares about Freddy. And that's one scary thing, too. Yes. Is that that's her first dream about Freddy. And he straight up kills her. Um, I think there's really scary stuff in this scene. And there's really cool special effect work. Um, the stuff on her, you know, she's taking a test and it's like a trigonometry or something. And, you know, all of the figures on the page start you know, dancing around the paper and, you know, blood starts coming out of her pen. And then like this crazy robot claw comes out of her desk and you see these shots of the desk from the side and it's coming out of the flat desk and there's nothing from underneath. It's just, it's really, I think it's well done. Like it's, I don't know, it's kind of funny, but it's, it's cool. I even noticed when they zoom out from above, you can see the floor, yes. the pattern on the floor. Yeah. It's like her desk is central, which I didn't notice before until recent years. But just that effect, all these little dream touches that make it surreal. Yeah. You know, it's kind of one of those things that when probably adult figures or parents would criticize these movies of just being artless, you're just mm-hmm. killing people. But clearly, there's a lot of great filmmaking going on yeah. in a movie like this that oh, is yeah. just very like it just sort of glossed over when you're talking about a nightmare movie yeah yeah if you pulled this scene out um if, because you were looking for examples of, of some of the series best standalone dream sequences i think this is up there with any of them oh yeah for sure. it's it's one of the really good dream sequences there's a really cool shot of the desk and it's a close-up of an apple and freddie grabs the apple and like picks it up and starts cutting it with his claws you know but when his hand grabs the apple it's like even his hand it like it looks dirty and it's got makeup and burn prosthetics on it like they went you know they went that extra mile to to like make up his hand which yes it's in a close-up shot in the movie but they didn't have to do that and it looks really effective it's just yeah, it looks, it's a great touch yeah it looks dirty yeah, and grimy I, and gross and they really let you see freddy they really let you see his makeup more in this yeah. one i think the the lighting in this film they they put him in the su- in the sunlight a little more mm-hmm. and and did because the first two films are so so dark and then they kind of still do that in the third film, but they, they go a little lighter. And, and in this one, they really come out into the bright light, and you get to see the, the close makeup. And, and it's kind of cool, because I feel like you're being rewarded in a way after all these years of not really getting to see so much close-up. 
that's how I looked at it. No, for sure. It's uh, he's in such bright sunlight that he has to wear sunglasses. He gets to go to the beach. <laughs> he gets to go have some leisure time at the beach with Tuesday night. Right. He he needs a vacation. You know, he's like Santa Claus. <laughs> so this is kind of uh, the point where Freddy. It's the early stages of Freddy having like puns and being a little bit more like he's a jokester, playful. but he's, he's not quite yeah where they take it. It's still scary. Yeah, he's still scary in this. Yeah, he's. It's sort of the. It, it does. It, he does. Ha- he's always been a jokester a little bit, mm-hmm. but because because he's out physically, he's lit better to where you see him more, yeah. and he's making some of these wisecracks. Just the whole direction feels like it's moved a little further to one side, um, but he is. It is still scary. Like I, I remember when. Kristen is uh, with the nurse. I don't want to jump around off of oh, your, you know, whatever your plan here, but um, he's still he's still creepy. He's he's still threatening when he's in drag. Drag nurse, I love drag nurse Freddy. <laughs> I remember first oh seeing God. that, and I fucking died. It's so good, oh, and he so has those good. big, those big matronly glasses. I love it. And the curly wig, yeah. It really teaches you to, like, not trust the first person you see when you wake up. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a very uh, it's a Halloween costume that I haven't really seen. I've seen a lot of Nurse Jokers, but never... Nurse Freddy. Nurse Freddy. Oh, that would be a good one. I, that I, is yeah. a good one. <laughs> very that's specific. An, that's offbeat... Yeah, that's kind of... That's different, but really good. <laughs> Did you have a sample of that dialogue? Not from the nurse. Oh, okay. oh I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Maybe we can cut it in after. <laughs> but um, I have a bit of Alice having a dream where she first really encounters Freddy because she hadn't encountered him at all. Well, no, she sees him with with. Uh, I'm sorry, she sees him with uh, Sheila. But um, her dream at the at the diner because Alice is. <sighs> She just has a lot going on in her life. And I think rather than facing it or rather than just being alone in her house, she just... She goes to work. Goes to work. Goes to the funeral for your friends and then she has to go clock in for like her... Her shift at the diner. Her shift at the diner, yeah. Right. And she's working double shifts to avoid sleeping. Yeah. And which eventually that's going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> you can't keep this up. And I kind of get that she helps support a lot of her family too. So she's probably still so yeah. she's probably chipping in on that mortgage every month. Yeah. Yeah, with this with her tips, which sucks. But um yeah, so I do have a little bit of Freddy dialogue um and it's a little it's a little punny, but uh like it, like I said, it's still scary. Um the scene where she thinks that she's going to meet up with Dan and Deb, but just winds up in this mystery movie house and just dreamily walks in and, you know, just starts watching this black and white movie and eventually gets sucked into the screen. Um, <laughs> Have you ever driven by this famous theater, Jacob? I, I Maybe I have, and I don't know it. Do you, can you tell? Where this is This is in exactly? South Pasadena. I think that we've talked about it on the show. It's this, in South Pasadena. This theater is in the opening of Scream 2. It is in La La Land. Oh. It's always... It's just in a lot of movies. Yeah. It's called The Rialto. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, like, I, I, remem- I, I remember it from Scream 2 as well. Yeah. I like when she walks up to the movie 
and all of the posters are new line connections. There's a John Waters hairspray poster. There's, I believe that Reefer Madness is being shown on the marquee. Yeah, and Bob Shea, the producer, used to distribute Reefer Madness with, with New Line. So just sort of a fun little Easter egg for people that are into movies. Yes, that's one of my favorite sequences in the whole movie. From the from the moment that she walks up to the theater to the mm-hmm. moment she gets sucked into the movie, that whole sequence is so cool it's really well done it's it's really cinematic yeah it's super like dream logic just the way the cameras are moving how slow everything goes just people in the audience just change from regular people in the audience to her friends that have been killed you know once she gets sucked into the movie all that stuff but let's let's take a list a little listen to 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 freddie kind of instructing alice to Bring him more victims. Come on, honey. I don't want to be here forever. If you don't kill you, the service will. The usual. My favorite. That was the pizza, right? The giant pizza oh, yeah. with oh, everybody's God, faces so in it. So disgusting. Oh, it's such a great spooky thing. I mean, that, and it looks amazing still. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it, it's so well done. That's such a spooky sequence. And because he is kind of like making jokes, like in the first one when he cuts off his fingers in mm-hmm. front of Tina. Um, and he's in here. He's eating a meatball that's supposedly her brother, but <laughs> it, it's still it's frightening. And I love the use. I noticed in this clip the the uh, original score from Nightmare yes. One. Mm-hmm. You can really hear yes. it a lot in this film, which is so nice. Yes. What we noticed, um, we watched three earlier in the week just to prep for this. Um, he doesn't have a lot of screen time in three. No, but he is heavy in this movie freddy i feel like yeah. yeah it's it's a real return to form for 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 freddy and for robert england because in three it's kind of not underused i think he's used well you know sparingly but in this one is he's front and center i didn't think about that but you're you're completely right he feels like he's uh he's in the movie it seems just as much as the that i wouldn't say alice but mm-hmm. pretty pretty close to the he's one of the the top appearances i would say right yeah yeah so uh sheila gets it in the classroom we didn't talk about rick in the the mystery you know invisible dojo which is it racist (laughs) a little (laughs) 
it's it's definitely problematic. It, yeah, you know, looking back now, um, it, it's really a strange. I, I still, I, I had no idea that it was like if, that. It turned out that way because of budget constraints or right. anything. Yeah, it kind of works out. An, an um, original idea. I yeah. love the score of Nightmare is done in that, like... like a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like pinky. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. So I guess the idea, like you were saying, um, Jacob, is that they were initially going to do a, a more elaborate death scene for Rick, but they just couldn't... They couldn't fit it into the budget, right? Yeah, and um, the actor apparently trained in martial arts for a time to prepare for it and oh. then he he felt like they didn't even really use his training they sure. kind of made him do this just very obvious things for the camera yeah and throw so some it, punches and kicks that, right one of those things that just didn't turn out like it like it was conceived so sure uh, but it, I, I still think it's effective it's just not what it could have been yeah that's okay yeah um, and again, and you know, in this movie, this is her, this is Alice's brother, you yeah. know, she's got like her new best friend, Kristen, um, Sh- Sheila, now her brother have all died. Oh, have all died in like, uh, a period of like a week or two. She's like, I don't know. She's got to be on edge at this point, but this is when she, at her brother's funeral, decides with Deb and Dan, like, okay, we got to make a plan. We got to figure out what we're going to do to like defeat Freddy, which Deb and Dan are both just like, I mean, I guess if you think that Mm -hmm. this is what's killing everybody. Yeah. I mean, it feels like the first one, the first film in the series in that way, though, Mm -hmm. where the the main character kind of has this secret that's affecting her and her friends and no one else, none of the adults understand, and she can't really tell any of them. The only people she can talk to are her other friends um, who are being killed one by one. Yeah. And even the the guy that she's talking to doesn't quite buy into all of it. Um, so, which ultimately, in the first one, that's how Johnny Depp dies. He doesn't really believe Nancy. Yeah, true. Uh, for the most part, and then it ends up being his... Uh, the death of him, but Dan kind of he does end up taking it seriously at some point. Yeah. So that I think that's why he survives. Yes. So we have to get into Debbie's transformation into the Roach, <laughs> which oh I God. think I remember when you first showed me this. Yeah. I thought it was one of the most repulsive things <laughs> I'd ever seen in a movie ever. It is up it there. It is gnarly. It is up there with one of the most crazy body horror I mean, scenes. I think this puts, like, Cronenberg to shame. Yeah. Oh, my God. Every- they, it's done so well. Yeah. It's so well done. Everybody talks about that head blowing up and scanners and, you know, and obviously the fly. But I feel like this kind of goes under the radar as far as, mm-hmm. like, a body horror transformation scene that is just... Like you said, it's Whew. repulsive. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if, if it's if it's because it's buried in the fourth sequel of, yeah, of this sure. series, but it really is a great piece of work. It's terrifying. I mean, talk about your worst nightmare being turned into yeah. a cockroach and being stuck in slime and your own. <laughs> 
cockroachiness and then you're killed by Freddy Krueger by being cr- oh it's just so uh, gross. and we've all felt so that well gross done. like sheet that traps roaches yeah and sticky sticky like <laughs> mice and like uh, just to put your face in that oh my god and that uh, transformation where her face rips off and the big cockroach head comes out of the top that is a feat of practical mm-hmm. effects that is insane. Like it's just amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm, you don't. You're so pu- nothing pulls me out of the sequence. Yeah, like nothing. Pull, nothing pulls me out of it to this day. I, every time I, it's so horrible, and I'm always just waiting for it to be over. Yeah, because yeah, because <laughs> you know, you don't like Deb isn't the warmest character, mm-hmm. but. You you don't hate her, yeah, um, yeah. I and you don't want her to die that way. It's horrible, <laughs> and it's not really score, but it's just these noises that are going on behind it. It's jarring. Ugh. It's this crazy, like metallic. I don't know, horn almost, but it's like a weird yeah. minor key that just. It's this noise that just keeps hitting as the scene it's is foreboding. going on. Yeah, it's yeah. it's that that part of it really adds to like the terror of of this scene. Yeah, I mean, this actress is yeah. going to be autographing photographs of this until the day that she dies. I mean, she's a trooper. Oh, yeah. If we want to talk about this actress, this is Brooke Thies from Just the Ten of Us, which is notoriously a uh, a font of Nightmare on Elm Street. You know references. Oh sure, because she uh, played one Heather of the Bun- Camp yeah, is in it. One of the um, the Bundy babes. What was the name of the, <laughs> the Lubbock babes on Just the Ten of Us with Heather Langenkamp? She played her sister. Yeah, it's very. Yeah, I um, think that's such a cool connection. Very interesting connection um, at the time that I remember making. She was blonde in that show, and I always thought yeah. she looked better as a blonde than as Deb. Maybe Deb's hair is a wig. And I like that the scene is cut. With um, the time loop, with the time loop, Ugh. I think that's so clever and such a great use of dream logic. Yeah, that Alice wants to get there, but she just can't. Yeah, right. And Ro- Robert England has gone on to say, I think that it's his favorite sequence of all of the films because he just thinks it's so well done. the The way that they're stuck in the loop and it just keeps repeating and repeating. And Deb, you know. With with the music you talked about earlier and just mm-hmm. everything that's happening, you you kind of know she's a goner. There's yeah. no coming back from being halfway transformed into a roach. <laughs> so so like it's just you're just waiting for it to yeah for the, for the hourglass to run out. Yes, um, it is interesting because you know we've all experienced that dream where you're trying to run but you can't run as fast as you are trying to and you're just kind of stuck and it's very hard to explain and to and to verbalize but you know when you're feeling it and they've tried to do this a couple of times to varying effect in the first movie nancy was going up the stairs and she was stuck in the oatmeal she sinks into the stairs she sinks mm-hmm. into the stairs oh, yeah and I in love the that sequence in um in dream warriors i think it's in dream warriors somebody's feet are kind of like there's kind of like a is there, a scene, is there a scene in Dream Warriors where yeah, she's... Yeah, no, that... Yeah, yeah, right? there is. It's, it's Patricia Arquette at the... I think at the very beginning... Where she's holding the, she's the little girl. With the girl in her arms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she gets stuck in the quicksand right. type of 
It's similar. It's to, like an oily the, goo, but it, yeah, and I think both of those are trying to convey that dream situation where you just can't run and you're trying to run. And this is, right. I think, a really clever way, yeah. like you said, Scott, of, of illustrating that idea of not get not being able to get to where you're trying to go. Well, especially if you're on a limited budget that you can't do yeah. like big setups. I mean, yeah. it's just kind of a clever yeah. way mm-hmm. to just keep this, this movie did. Yeah, it just did so many cool things. This movie, yeah, so I, I I love that. Yeah, they they didn't have that much money to do this one, and that's a very memorable part of the film. Yeah, well, especially for New Line and Bob Shea, that Rennie Harlan. I mean, I think that he had just done some like short films, but yeah. Rennie Harlan probably just couch. He describes it in Never Sleep Again that he was just couch surfing, like he yeah. didn't really have like a bank account or anything and new line just trusted him with this gigantic movie yeah. and i feel like isn't it true too that he just didn't have really the best grasp of english yet sure. at that point he probably just knew his basic nouns and verbs <laughs> right but somehow he still knew he knew what american audiences would want yes, yes. yeah he knew how to he knew how to deliver um i mean it's just a he he also just injected an energy into the series that it hadn't had before and yeah for better or worse for better or for worse too with with how the movies went after this one but for this time it was just really kick ass honestly yeah. I mean, Ronnie Harlan's had quite the career. He's had yes. second chances. He's had third chances. <laughs> he's had fourth chances. Yeah. But just like, yeah. Like, went on to do Cliffhanger, Cutthroat Island, the notorious mm-hmm. bomb, Cutthroat Island. Yeah. And he ended up marrying Gina Davis. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And then he did, like, well, The Long Kiss Goodnight with her. Which I like that movie. and uh, But uh, this film made so much money. Mm-hmm. And he had such a successful, uh, well, a lucrative career, uh, at least after this. Yeah, I mean, a successful career after this that you have to credit his filmmaking on this one for showing people his talent and his ability. Uh, I think, you know, the movie made a lot of money and when you watch it, it, it's a good film. And I think people recognize that even though it was a nightmare on Elm street, uh, one of the sequels uh, and with everything that the horror genre faces, I think people still saw that he was a pretty good director. I don't want to call him like the low rent version of Paul Verhoeven, but he's definitely like the more studio friendly Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to compare him to another European direction yeah. or like director. And I also really like that Rennie Harlan just, he really has an eye for just the male form of how he photographs <laughs> men in movies. Like, give me a good Rennie Harlan locker room scene. Like, the locker room scenes in this movie, he did The Covenant. Which I'm pretty sure that you see some balls in the covenant. <laughs> oh my God. Just balls. But yeah, I mean, he likes to give like the boobies for the straight guys and the the butts for the boys. He knows what to do. Yeah, um, he 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 knew that with. I think he's he's equal opportunity with the camera. Yeah, for sure. So I I like that um, with Alice. You know, like we mentioned, she had this mirror in her bedroom that she completely covered up because she doesn't 
feel like looking at her own face. She covers it up with pictures of her friends. As her friends are dying, she starts taking the pictures down. And as each friend dies, she collects kind of like a talisman from mm-hmm. each friend. Yeah. Right. She's got Sheila's bug zapper. Um, she's got Rick's, you know, uh, karate bandana little situation. She took up uh, she, she took up Kristen smoking. <laughs> <laughs> Those long Virginia Slim cigarettes. Yeah. I don't smoke. I don't smoke. <laughs> um, Deb gives her her spiky bracelet. Right. And she's like, you know, it's a good luck charm. It'll help you kill. It'll help you smash the guys with it or whatever, whatever she says. But I kind of love that the bracelet that she puts on in her big transformation montage is not the same one. It's not the same one. Oh, interesting. That bracelet has like a a level up. Yeah. So is Alice already (laughs) asleep at this point? She already dreaming. That's I you know that's probably the best way to look at yeah. it is that she's she's going on days of not sleeping. She pops the sleeping pills and then as as she's drifting asleep things start to look distorted to her just like the mirror does by yeah. the end of the 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 montage. Mhm. So, okay, are we at are we at the final showdown? I think so, yeah. <laughs> we I mean, I had a couple of clips with I had a couple more Kristen clips that we kind of skipped over um i had one of Kristen and her mom having the big argument at the at the dinner table I love mom. i mean we love we love Kristen's mom like we said her we can always amazing. we can always drop that we in can, later we could we did too. we did talk about Kristen's mom earlier yeah so we can we can drop those in actually in in post nice. christian so we'll on delay on delay <laughs> She carries that that Andale line over from part three to she, four. Exactly. Cool. Yep. I love that she just shows Very up. Good detail across the street. She's just, she's <laughs> just driving she by. From? She's just driving by on her way home. She's honking Spring, her horn like a mad woman. Springwood is that small? Yeah. <laughs> In the residential street. <laughs> so when Alice and Dan are driving to meet up with Deb. <laughs> this like car crash with Freddie looks so gnarly. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. And what did she say? I'm gonna punch his ticket in. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna punch his it's, ticket in. Dan Jordan has a brutal. cool truck too. Yeah, she yeah, completely they, destroys they fuck up that truck. <laughs> I mean it's it's almost like it's kinda her fault, but she she you know, she was gonna take him out. Yeah. So Yeah. And this is really Alice, like, totally different Alice. She Now she's just fully like, fuck this. I'm going to end this shit. He's she's, standing there. He's she's, out. She's gone full Linda Hamilton. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She's ready to fight. She's so tough. This is the... I mean, she went from this shy girl into being someone who you really believe can take on Freddy Krueger, who is super strong by the fourth film. And... She's so confident, and you're just, like, cheering for her. And as, like, a a kid, I totally just loved it so, so, so much. (laughs) I I was, like, down with her. I was ready to see her kick some fucking ass. So I don't know if I can say it on the show, but... Yeah. Um, So, you know, Dan is really hurt in this car accident, and so he's out of commission, you know, in the hospital. So now 
Alice really has to do this final showdown alone. And this is where we get, you know, this this montage that we were talking about earlier that really just kind of like made us want to just really be Alice. And like you said, Scott, it's her Linda Hamilton moment. And it doesn't feel like a retread of Nancy from the first movie. No, not at all. That it feels very no. different, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, you almost can't picture Nancy doing like the karate fighting and yeah, all yeah. the stuff that she does. It, it, it's like a, it's definitely like, like a, a level above. It's almost like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, it's like she needed Kristen's dream skill of the gymnastics. She needed Rick's, you know, karate skills. She needed Deb's, you know, physical fitness. She's taking on all of these qualities yeah. of her friends that she's lost. And she takes with her all the talismans that she collected. You know, she puts on Rick's yeah. bandana. She gets, you know, she gets the supersonic roach killer. She gets the the leveled up dream spiky bracelet, all that stuff to take to take to this showdown. Yeah, and she kind of pushes away her sentimentality and the things that are holding her back, mm-hmm. and you know, pushes all of that off of the of the away from the mirror to where she's yeah. just facing herself and what she's about to try to overcome. Yeah, and okay, so this final showdown again, it's dream logic. Um, the church imagery and like the religious imagery, I really feel like takes on more like you kind of understand it more in the next movie yes you know we 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 start to hear a little bit of the freddy backstory in, in the third in movie, part three with the, with the creepy nun that just shows up mm-hmm. um and we really get it fleshed out in part five but in this movie the final showdown takes place in a church and i don't know at, at one point, you're just kind of like, why is it in a church? But then you don't care because it's a dream and it just looks kind of <laughs> cool. The church has these right. asymmetrical doors, which I love. But Freddy has oh, a history awesome. with, like, nuns, yes. too. So it fits. Yes. That he just sort of has this, like, uh, what's, what's, like, the word that I'm looking for? Just a connection. Yeah, just yeah. like a connection. Yeah. To, to churches yeah. and religious mm-hmm. imagery. It's very fitting, and it looks... It's a great place for a showdown. Yes. And it's not... It, and it's lit in a way that is almost... It's just... It's it's a fantasy. It's not like a... It, it is a nightmare because it's Freddy, but it's not... It's like Fantasia almost. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, it's not all, It's not like in the fifth film where it's, it's more gothic. Right. Right. It's... Yeah, the, the lighting is very, like... Um, I don't know, not expressionistic, but I guess something like that. Uh, this is where nice. we, this is where we f- hear the Dream Master rhyme all the way through <laughs> for the first time. Um, you know, Alice has she has like a kind of a kicking karate fight moment. She uses. Sheila's device as like this laser beam situation that Freddie just heals from automatically. But it's really when she remembers the dream that her mother taught her is when she really can figures out how to defeat Freddie. 
And it's like a variation on just the regular prayer that you mm-hmm. learn as a kid. You know, now I lay me down to sleep. Yeah. And I pray the Lord my soul to keep. It's like a, it's different from that, but just a variation. Yes. So it's um, I I I wonder if they if that comes from somewhere or if it really just is from just this movie. Yeah, I always just kind of thought that it was made up for this movie. I always wonder if the Bible passages that they put at the beginning are real. <laughs> Do you know? <laughs> I don't remember the one from. This I remember there was sleep, those little slices of death, how I loathe them. I think that yeah. was in the third one. I think that's Edgar Allan Poe or mm-hmm. somebody, maybe. That's what they credit it to that. in that movie. Yeah. Let's take a let's take a listen to uh the Dream Master rhyme. I just wanted to hold it to the end there because Alice, she says, let them out. And she's like so forceful, you know, I, I love that she's like character. So beat. In the, yeah. I mean, she's so strong and tough right there. And yeah. so just complete transformation from the girl that you see at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, this takedown of Freddie with like the arms coming out of his body. Mm hmm. Coming out of his torso and then eventually out of his head and everything. I loved that as a kid. I thought that that was the coolest, like, movie magic effect. Like, it just, I don't know. They, you could tell that they used a lot of different things, like full body arms and then puppetry and a lot of different techniques to put it together to make it work. And I just so appreciated it so much. Yeah, they really push it to a level that that is a, su- like such a step above. Like this could be the final death of Freddy. Oh yeah, in terms sure. of how how awesome this sequence is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like every movie it's just like obviously these these nightmare movies are always huge successes. But I mean, you just kind of have to build it in. Maybe it won't be. So if this is the last one, then it has to be satisfying death, right? So it is right. a pretty satisfying end to to Freddy. We get all of the souls of his previous kills inside of his body trying to get out. Is it just from this movie? The only time we see that? That uh, are everyone that's died just in this movie, in his chest? I don't know. There's a lot of souls in there. <laughs> well, we see we see the souls in his chest, torso, in part three. Um, you see them suffering, but you don't. You just see, like, just the torso. You don't see mm-hmm. inside of Freddy and how there's tons and tons of souls. Yeah. And um, one of the one of the bodies, one of the n- nude bodies that's, like, rubbing up against the latex is Linnea Quigley. <laughs> Scream wow. Queen Linnea Quigley. 
From Return of the Living Dead? Oh, wow. Yeah, from Return of the Living Dead and uh, Night of the Demons and et al. Uh, yeah, she, she's... Um, icon. Icon, yeah. That's so awesome. Oh, she looked great in this movie. She did. <laughs> I still regret when we were uh, at Amoeba, when Amoeba in Hollywood was still open, R.I.P., uh, upstairs and looking at the VHSs, her, her workout tape. Oh, yeah. I regret not paying thirty dollars to buy it. <laughs> it was a like it was like a horror workout. It had like oh, zombies man. and stuff. Greg Leitner claims he can get me a copy of it. <laughs> that would have been oh that <laughs> man, you should have gotten that. That would have been amazing. I know. We can probably track wow. it down on eBay or something. <laughs> yeah, it's gotta be out there somewhere. Yeah. But um, you know, this this kind of takes down Freddy and I mean, this is when the movies, in my opinion, start to go cuckoo bananas. I don't really <laughs> like the Dream Child or Freddy's Dead. This is just when they just get fucking crazy, even for these movies. Is, yeah, I, this is kind of the last super, super good one that doesn't mm-hmm. deviate too far from the the original formula. Yeah, and I appreciate the other films. I, I actually do like Freddy's Dead and and the Dream Child and their own ways um but this is the last one that this one kind of fits with the previous three and it doesn't go yeah it doesn't go all cuckoo bananas like you said yeah but uh so it's it's a it's a turning point after this because like dream child like turns into like a like an abortion movie (laughs) there's like a like a like a freddy fetus or something Yeah, Papa Don't Preach is yeah. on the soundtrack. Just it, kidding. It has it's, that it's, weird it's little not, boy from Jurassic Park in it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like right. her unborn baby. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, Alice it's, and it, Alice and Dan survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they survive and they're, they stay a couple. And um, they hang out by water fountains at the end. They do that a lot. And uh, she's still... Yeah, she still has problems with sleeping, of course. Um, but but you know she kicked ass, and she was yeah. She she's the she's really the main to me the the main survivor of the series. Yeah, it's true. She makes it through multiple um, movies, and I mean, in part five, opens the opening credits is like that steamy like sex scene with Alice and Dan. <laughs> Oh, oh there's yeah. a dance sex scene? I don't remember that. It's the opening credits of part five. I may have to revisit that. It's just yeah. like shots of like bodies, and calf muscles and things. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you get the feeling that some intense sex is happening. You know, with that film, you, they, they cut so much from the, from the death scenes and, mm-hmm. and just the edit, the editing alone changed that film. And I feel like this film doesn't feel choppy in that way. Right. You don't really feel like they... They don't. You don't really feel like they cheated you out of any of the sequences or anything. They really like the the movie relies on the sequences because the script isn't necessarily the best, right? Um, by any means. Um, I have not met Lisa Wilcox, but um, I know she does the rounds of the conventions, and she seems very lovely. And she looks amazing. Yeah, she has a nice picture on IMDb. She looks great. And oh, um, yeah. I need to make it to to a convention one day if uh, if they happen again. And um, I would I would love to. I would wait in line and pay the fee to meet Lisa Wilcox. I would love to meet her if she ever happens upon this podcast or anything. I hope she hears <laughs> this because I right? would love to meet her. I have an embarrassing quick thing about 
Lisa Wilcox. So I've been a fan of her. Again, this is like a movie that made me gay. So I've been a fan of her for so long. And back when I was probably 11 or 12, I found her guest book on one of her websites at the time. And Ah. I left some really embarrassing entries. And that is still on the internet out there. Oh, man. It's... It's, it has survived for like two decades still on the internet and they're very embarrassing, but like clearly I loved her and yeah. wanted her to be my friend. So that's sweet. Are they like, still do like geo cities, like angel fire, like fan websites. They're <laughs> that, that type of thing. Yeah. Like you can still find that she has a new website now with a new guest book, and, mm-hmm. but you can still, as of like the last year or two, you can still kind of click around and locate the old guest book and you can see like wow. my entries they're embarrassing i like at one point i'm like hey chicklet <laughs> like i call her chicklet <laughs> like i don't know what it, i don't know who i thought i was oh, at wow. age 12 but i was like really just trying to be cool and i so was not cool but i was such a fan and, i'm gonna um I, i'm gonna yeah. summon all my powers of internet sleuthing and find these I'm sure you'll find it. them. They're, they are there. They're, they're there. You'll yeah. find them. Wow. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I love Lisa Wilcox as well. I, n- I never less, left any guest book entries um, on her websites. But I, I, I did really um, attach to Alice and her portrayal of this character. And, um, yeah, I, lo- I, love, yeah. I love this movie. <laughs> I like this movie too. too. Yeah, I'm glad this, you guys do. It's yeah. so special. <laughs> yeah, it is, and that's the thing. It's like I feel like people kind of give the nightmare sequels a hard time for getting into like a more campy territory, but at least with like you know all the Halloween, you know uh, Friday the Thirteenth, and then this, I feel like are like the big three you know horror franchises. At least with Nightmare this central trilogy within the storyline just is really strong. I think it's just so solid. It's very ambitious storytelling that you're just not rehashing Nancy in all of the sequels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they were pretty determined to, to keep the, it seemed like they were pretty determined to keep the characters and like arc, like an arc going through or, or our basic level of connectedness going. And it, I think it, uh, is really in favor, stands in favor of the whole series. Yeah. And this movie, I mean, starting with three and the, and this one, they're, they're really watchable. You can just sit down and watch them and they don't get boring. It's not like, you know, they're, they're, they're still solid. So. I think I've grown to like this one more with each viewing yeah. of it. Yeah. Whether it's or not so you have fun. to fast forward through Deb's death. Oh, I'll always watch <laughs> Deb's death. <laughs> Oh, it's awful. It's horrible. It's yeah. gross, but I'll always watch it though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Does anybody have any final thoughts? I think we I think we probably mentioned all of our final thoughts on, on Nightmare Four, but any, anybody have any last things they want to add before we say goodbye? Uh you know, just that I love this movie so much. Um I uh I'm glad that you guys are fans of it. And um man, I would love to see some kind of revisiting of the character Alice. I'd love her to come back in <sighs> some form in some way. That would be so great. That would be really nice. Um, yeah. And uh, am I allowed to plug anything? Of course. <laughs> of course. <Yes. laughs> I, um, well, uh, you can 
If you want to learn more about what's going on with me, just listen to my podcast. It's called Crime of Your Life, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Crime of Your Life. It's a true crime podcast focusing on unsolved uh, crimes and cases. And then um, beside that, I know you guys had Matt Emmert on, my boyfriend, recently. Yes. Who is doing Happy Horror Time with Tim Murdoch. So... Just, you know, your listeners, I hope, will go check out Happy Horror Time. It's streaming everywhere, and uh, it's lovely. And Tim was just on um, our show for Scream. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I've I've listened to the one with Matt, but I I need to go back and listen to the one with Tim. That's Um, a lot of fun. He did Scream, you said? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, Scream 1. Nice. A lot of fun. Perfect for the Halloween season. Well, yeah, but thank you guys so much for having me on. Of course. uh, It was fun to come back and talk to you guys about really one of my favorite movies, even not just horror movies, but like one of my favorite movies. I love it so much. One last bit. I'm surprised with the success of Halloween 2018. Warner and New Line haven't put together some reboot of Nightmare on Elm Street with Robert England. Because, I mean, he was... In the makeup on that episode of the Goldbergs, I mean, he's getting older, but I think if you sort of use him the right way, he yeah. could absolutely rewrite this character in another movie. So they need to get on that. I agree. Yeah, they do. Like Robert England has gone back and forth between "I'm too old to play Freddy again" to back to "Oh, I maybe I have one more film in me." So he needs to realize that he's not too old to play Freddy. He yeah, needs to just do it. And bring us more uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, indeed. Agreed. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Yay. Thank you guys so You're much. You're welcome. This was so much fun. Until next time, Jacob. Later, alligator. Bye. And thank you so much for listening, everybody. That yeah, was a great episode. Great episode. Love talking about this movie. I can't tell you. I will watch this movie like... I know you love it. I love it. Not one that I was as familiar with as usual because I curate the schedule. So this was definitely a Pete pick. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. But um, yeah, like I said, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We've got a couple of... Shout outs to uh, give out our Patreon shout outs. Yes, indeed, our Patreon shout outs. If I can find it, um, while I'm looking for that, Scott, tell them where they can find us on social media, and I'll go ahead. And you can find, find us on social media on Facebook at Movies That Made Us Gay and Instagram by the same Movies That Made Us Gay, and also Twitter at MTMUGPod. Slide into those DMs, reply to our stories. I'd love hearing from listeners. I love the chat about movies, too. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. We love talking to all of our listeners. It's oh, so and also, yeah. if you would like to follow my Letterbox account. Oh, yeah, do that. I'm just Scott Youngbauer on, on Letterbox, And I don't have a Letterbox, but soon I will find one. But all you movie, movie buffs out there, look up Scott. So here we go. We've got some Patreon shout-outs. Uh, we would love to say hello and big ups to Joshua, Aaron, Melinda and Jim, Jessica, John, Nick, Christine, Rafino, and Mitchell. Thank you so much, everybody, for following us on Patreon. 
Sign up for Patreon. Yes, indeed. Patreon. You'll get the cool newsletter. We're and about to do our mid-October one. Oh, love the newsletter. So much fun to write. You can find us on www.patreon.com slash movies that made us gay. Very simple. We do a watch with us commentary. Yes. Bonus commentary tracks. Mm-hmm. You can watch Beetlejuice with us. And we did a Scream 2 one. Yes. Beetlejuice and Scream 2 We're so about far. to record our new one on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Love it. Thanks so much, everybody. Is it time to sign off? Yes, it is. I we we need so. a good sign off. We mm-hmm. haven't figured that out yet. We'll, we'll figure out something. Yeah. Well, you're listening to it here, everybody. You're listening to it happen. We'll see you next week, everybody. Bye. Bye.